Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. The NBA suspended its season after a player on the Utah Jazz tested positive for coronavirus. The Mavericks and the NBA starting discussions on how they will respond to this virus as well. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban says companies are bailed out. All employees should have the chance to benefit from a possible turnaround in the form of stock compensation. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, CEO of Fortune Media. The coronavirus pandemic has very quickly caused a collision between corporate values and corporate finances. Marriott may truly care about its hourly employees, but with hotel visits down 70, 80, 90 percent, depending on the market, what's the company supposed to do? What it did, of course, was furlough tens of thousands of employees. So I paid attention when I saw that after the NBA shutdown, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban said he was going to pay every hourly employee in the Mavericks arena as if it were open for business, even though there's no revenue coming in. How can he do that? I reached out to Cuban, asked him to join us on Leadership Next, and he's with us now. Mark, thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me. So you know my question. How can you do that? (laughs) I'm rich. You know, I'm lucky. I'm blessed. It's not going to cost me nearly as much as it would cost the hourly employees to go without. So it's just the right thing to do. But what should the average company do? What should Marriott do? What should a, a, a restaurant that has hourly employees and suddenly is out of business do? What, in your view, is the right way to deal with this kind of a crisis? There is no right way. I mean, we're dealing with imperfect information. This is a new scenario. No one's been through it before. And so you have to just do the best that you can. If you can afford it, like I've told some of my portfolio companies or other investments I have that are run by well-off people, you keep on paying because it's the right thing to do. If you can't afford it, then you have to communicate with your employees and your stakeholders and tell them exactly why you're doing what you're doing and explain to them you know, how we can potentially get to the other side of this. But the key is communication. It makes this whole conversation about corporate values very difficult because you may, in fact, think that your employees are your most important asset, but if you don't have any way to pay them, what can you do? Everything obviously is fluid. Every day we get new information. And that's what you have to do as a CEO, as an entrepreneur. You have to stay on top of it. And I'll give you a perfect example. 1.30 this morning, the Senate agreed to legislation that includes small business provisions. And I've been keeping up with that legislation, reading it cover to cover. So I understood what was going on. Every CEO needs to do the same thing. Now, we haven't seen the final draft. It hasn't been released yet. But as of yesterday, what the draft said was, Any company with 500 or fewer employees, the government is willing to loan you through your local bank up to the average cost for the last three months for all your employees making less than $100,000 a year, plus your rent, plus your utilities, plus your overhead, and up to $10 million. So it's a lesser of that amount or $10 million. You as the CEO have the responsibility to know that information called, already be proactively calling your bank letting them know because they may not be up to speed. And part of the legislation requires you to certify your average payroll for employees under $100,000 and that you will retain all your employees. And if you do that through the term of this loan, which I think is three months, then at the end of the term, 
they will dismiss the loan and it'll evolve into a tax-free grant. But it's your job as the CEO or an executive of these companies to be up to speed on that. Well, wait a minute. So should you go back? You're paying all these Mavericks Arena employees out of your own pocket. Should you be paying them through this program? I don't know. We haven't decided yet because on one hand, you know, I can afford it. The other hand, I'm paying out of, you know, one pocket or the other through my taxes that'll inevitably go up to pay for all this. So you may apply. For my companies under 500 employees, yes. For any of um, covering all those employees making under $100,000 a year, yes, those companies can apply. And remember, I'm an investor in over 150 small businesses where I may own anywhere from 2% to 30%. And so for those companies, we're actively encouraging the entrepreneurs to get all the information together, all your payroll data, so you know what your average payroll is for the previous three months for employees making under 100K. So you're ready to certify for all the elements that your bank will need to make you the loan and that you're ready to bring your employees back or retain everybody that you have so that you can meet the certification requirements so that the end of the three months or whatever that term is, you don't have to pay it back. And so again, I'll go back to it. As a CEO, as an entrepreneur, it's your responsibility to be up to speed, not just to yourself, not just to your bank account, but to each and every one of your employees and stakeholders. It's your job, nobody else's. And the overarching goal here in terms of your portfolio companies is the same as the Mavericks Arena, to try and and keep from putting people on the streets? Yes, absolutely. I think only one or two of 100 plus companies have laid off anybody. Wow, that's amazing. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is the CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Something big seems to be going on in the world of business. There's a shift from a focus on shareholders to a focus on stakeholders. I'm hearing this everywhere. Why is it happening? This is a realization that if you effectively serve a broad cross-section of stakeholders, that's actually conducive to generating a premium return for shareholders. This is not an either or. Maybe in the short term, one could prioritize profits at the expense of other constituents. But in the long term, you have to align those interests to deliver premium shareholder returns consistently. A lot of people I talk to want to know, is this real or is this just a public relations act? exercise. This is being built into the core of leading companies' strategies, and you're seeing the landscape shift drastically. Just in the last few months, views from leading investors around the way in which this is driving capital allocation decisions, very tangible climate commitments from many large organizations, and a very significant interest from our employee base around their desire to make certain that the organization they work for aligns with their values. Joe, thanks for being with us. Alan, it's a real pleasure. Mark, you've been on fire on Twitter lately, uh, going after a variety of companies. I want to ask you about some of them. Let's start with 3M. 3M makes those N95 respirator masks, the really good respirator masks that can protect healthcare workers. If I'm reading your tweets right, you pretty much accused them of price gouging. Suggested, not accused. I'm still trying to find out more, but here's what I know. I know that 3M is a big company. You'd agree with that. Two, they have a product, the N95 surgical respirators. We'd all agree with that. Three, it's very likely they have a product manager for that product that knows the industry better than anybody. They know how many masks are made, not by just by 3M, 
by, by every one of their competitors. They know where they sell them to. They know whose customers are whose, just like in any business, um, big company that has a product. Yet they could have come out and talked to America about the supply chain, about the industry, about where the masks are going and how we're going to get through this. Instead, they were silent beyond saying we're making as many masks as we can. To me, that's just wrong because everybody in the world is stressing over PPE, including the N95 respirator mess, because the people who are the real heroes of all this, the healthcare workers who are on the front line responding to every coronavirus case, dealing with everybody going in and leaving the hospital, they have no information and they are terrified when they go to work. Their families and friends are terrified. The whole country is terrified for them. Yet at 3M, the CEO, the product manager just would have come out and explain to us how this industry works, what the ramifications are for the short term and long term so we understand what's going on. It might not have been a solution, but it certainly would have helped us understand. Instead, we have these marketplaces which are like drug deals or like black markets you know, for cocaine where I'm getting emails every single day saying I have 100,000, 500,000, 5 million, 100 million masks for sale. And despite the fact that those masks were selling for 85 cents three months ago. Wait. Now they're selling for six, seven, eight dollars. But hang on, Mark. I'm getting some of those emails too. I assumed they were scams. Somebody who's trying to get me to put some money on the line who may not have any masks. Yeah, that, that's very true. So, and actually, um, I'm working with an organization that's at www.projectn95.com that's trying to connect real sources, real manufacturers, and real buyers together. And filtering out the scams. But to answer your question, not all of them were scams. Many were real. People are sourcing from around the world and we're getting no information. And what happens when you have no information? Prices skyrocket. You have a massive social media following. Did anyone from 3M reach out to you? Absolutely. And they tried to reiterate the fact that they're making as many masks as they can, which I don't deny. I'm sure I'm 100% positive they are. That's not an issue, but I'll give you a perfect example. And I, and I asked them this. I said, why is it that their CEO two days ago came out and said, you know, we're aware of the problem that healthcare providers can't get enough masks. So we're sending masks directly to Seattle and New York City, where there's the greatest concentration of cases. I'm like, why didn't he do it before? Yeah. You also spent the last three days going after the Senate. Did you, are you happy with the deal that they put together? They haven't released the text yet. So, you know, it's hard to say. I will say this, like any business or a lot of businesses, when you're dealing with critical issues, the deal changes every day that goes by. If a deal would have been negotiated early on, let's say six weeks ago, when we were starting to feel the ramifications of the coronavirus, it would have been a deal that we could have included a lot of protections for workers. It could have been a deal that included a lot of the things that the Democrats wanted that are worthwhile projects, but may not be an absolute fit or a support package like, or a bailout package like we're looking at now. But every day that goes by, more businesses closed, more people lost their jobs, more people got sick, more people died. So we went from trying to get a good deal to now, last night at 1.30 in the morning, we probably got a deal that makes everybody a little bit upset, which isn't bad, but at least hopefully we'll get money to people who need it. Because if you just lost your job and you don't know how you're going to pay your rent, you don't know how you're going to pay your utilities, you don't know how you're going to pay for groceries for your family, that's stress. And at least this bill has in place, last I heard, $1,200 per individual and some money for kids if you make under some threshold. That's going to give people some control over their lives. And that's critically important. So again, it's not a perfect deal, 
but any deal that ends the blading in this particular case and gets money in people's hands so they feel a little bit sense of control and stability, that's a good thing. And so now I'll transition from, okay, let's see what the bill is. I'm not going to question it because there's no reason to, right? It's done, it's done. But the question now becomes, what happens next? How quickly can we get money in the hands of the individuals who need it? Because the issue with government a lot of times, put aside, you know, there's politics and politicians are politicians, right? But on the flip side, now we have to execute. Putting together a business plan is not the hardest part. Getting approved politically can be. Now we have to deal with the execution of it. I've actually been talking to people at the Small Business Administration, helping them come up with some ideas on how they can smooth the processes and reduce the friction of getting money into people's hands, particularly small businesses. So now the question becomes, how do we execute? Who does the execution? Where are the failure points? How to reduce the friction? And how quickly will it happen? Because as I said earlier, every day that goes by has consequences. Why are you doing all this, Mark? I mean, you got a couple of day jobs uh, that you have to worry about. You're taking on basically government responsibilities. Why wouldn't I? If I can contribute, if I can help, you know, if I can set an example, why wouldn't I? You know, it may be something, maybe I try and they ignore me and that's okay. At least I tried, but I'm in a unique position. These are unique circumstances. I'm not saying I have better answers than anybody. I don't, but at least I have the platform and the resources to at least speak my piece. And, you know, in the marketplace of ideas and solutions, if, if what I say is valid, hopefully it'll rise to the top. And if what I say is garbage, it'll sink out and people will forget it. But I don't know until I try. I see you're also doing a lot to support healthcare workers and healthcare systems in the Dallas area. You know, we've got a great organization. The culture at the Dallas Mavericks right now has never been better. It's run by Cynthia Marshall. Between Cynthia and our players and myself, our foundation, we realized very quickly that the true heroes in all this are the healthcare workers that are putting their health at risk in dealing with coronavirus patients and really trying to help others, and they needed support. We talked to UT Southwest Parkland Hospitals here in Dallas, the largest system, and they told us they needed daycare help for their employees. And so we funded the daycare help. They told us they were doing swabbing and testing in parking lots around the city. They needed to feed those people, but not just here, let's drive up a food truck, but all that food need to be individually wrapped and delivered without touching and all wrapped and ready to go. And so we, we put together that program, and I give credit for that. That was the idea of our players, Luka Doncic, Dwight Powell, Christoph Porzingis, Courtney Lee, you know, Dory, all of our guys all contributed to that, and they came up with it, and it was just a great idea. So we're supporting them there, and we'll do other things. You know, I've contributed money to the Bartenders Guild for people who, you know, are working in bars and restaurants that aren't getting paid to help support them. We're just going to try to help for as long as we can, wherever we can. So uh, you're paying, obviously, very close attention to this. How long do you think this is going to last? How long are we going to be in this extraordinary situation? This is a probability distribution. You know, the scientists and the doctors and the analysts, they'll do their best to tell us, you know, here's the worst case with an assigned probability of X, and here's the best case with an assigned probability of X. And then hopefully those in charge will make the right decisions. But, you know, you haven't heard me criticize President Trump, and I'm not a fan of his, because, again, when you're dealing with imperfect information, there are no right decisions. And every decision you make is going to be criticized from one side or the other because this is complete uncertainty. Yeah, as you said, it, it is a probability distribution. I mean, where do you think uh, uh, being out of it by Easter is on the probability distribution? The way I read it, and again, you can't just read what the president says. You also have to integrate what the people around him, Dr. Fauci and what he's saying and FEMA and the Surgeon General, the way I, I hear them is that on Easter, they're going to give us 
another date, hopefully, that'll give us some indication when they think we'll be able to gather outside the house. Maybe it will still require social distancing. Maybe it'll be limited to 10 people. I don't know. But I think that Easter date isn't a release date for us from quarantine, but rather an update date where we'll be closer to being able to give a date. I bet that the quarantine is relaxed and we're allowed out of our house in some form or fashion before June 1st. And how about filling the Mavericks arena? When are you going to be able to do that? Who knows? That's so low on the totem pole. My goal is we'll play games in mid-May or early June. And again, that's just me guessing. That's not the NBA saying anything. It's just speculation on my part. But I think it's important, and I think the NBA recognizes that. Right now, we need sports. We need sports really, really bad. We have nothing to cheer for. We have nobody to rally for. We have no communal excitement that we all can get behind our team. And so even if we play in front of nobody, but the games are on TV and we stream them, the energy and the excitement and the release and the cheering, that'll serve such a unique purpose that only sports can serve. Apple put out a new iPad. You know, you didn't hear people, you know, screaming and cheering for the product. The product we have, the content we have, people do cheer for. And that's unique and it's really required and needed right now. And in the meantime, Mark, I guess we can all watch Shark Tank on ABC. Yes, Friday nights on ABC. We do have new episodes. (laughs) And you know what? You know, I I will say this. The reason I do the show is because it tells the country that the American dream is alive and well, that anybody, no matter where you live, no matter what your circumstances, can start a business. And you see examples of that every episode on the show. And so with the show now back on Friday nights on ABC, it's the perfect family show to watch together, to get energized, to get excited. And you know what? If you're an entrepreneur, if you had aspirations and expectations to be an an entrepreneur, there's no better time to work on your business plan and start thinking about how you're going to start it up than right now. You got the time. You've got the opportunity. There's people to talk to. Do it now, you know, and hopefully people will watch Shark Tank. And and now since we're quarantined, you know, the number of people watching it every day with the reruns and every Friday night is just skyrocketed. But watch it and hopefully you'll be inspired because out of all this mayhem and out of all this disaster, heroes will be born. There will be companies started that we look back and say, you know what? If it weren't for the coronavirus and just the tragedy we endured, this company and that company never would have been started had we not gone through this. Thanks for your optimism, Mark, and thanks for everything you're doing. And thanks for joining us on Leadership Next. Thank you, Alan. Let me just say we will come out of this and we will figure it out. The one thing that separates America from every other country in the world is that entrepreneurial spirit. We will be better off when it's all said and done. I really believe that. Totally agree. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Alan. Take care, guys. Leadership Next is produced by Dan Sacker, edited and engineered by Nicole Vergala, and written by me, Alan Murray, and Dan Sacker. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 